So afterwards, we want to see for those of you, if you get a chance to sit down and meet with somebody, talk to them, and see if you can support them in some kind of way. Amen. As well, uh, we want to pray for a couple of church planters. Uh, Nathan Law and uh, Chad Rakin have recently planted churches uh, here in the Houston area, the Renovation Church in the Pearland area, Nathan Law. Uh, Nathan doesn't believe that uh, Jason Crandall and Lawrence Scott have reached everybody over there yet, so he said, let me go over there and make sure I do a work, amen, and uh, take care of those that they haven't reached. And then down in League City, our brother Chad Rankin, uh, amazing man of God, has recently reached out two weeks ago and planted a church, and we want you all to come forward, and uh, we want to pray for you, amen. And I want to ask that the other guys from the residency program, if you've completed the HCPN residency program, I want you all to stand behind them as we pray for them and lift them up. So if you've completed the HCPN residency program, amen, if you'll come down and pray with these guys because you know the burden that they're carrying. And um, we thank you all for coming down. And These are all gentlemen who have completed the residency program at HCPN, and we want to lift up Nathan and Chad. If Nathan Cotton, if you'll pray for Nathan Law, amen, and this is not the microphone that Jeff touched, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are good and that you are trustworthy. And so we're so thankful that you call us to this mission of prioritizing you and asking other people to surrender themselves. So Lord, would you go before Nathan? And Father, would you bless his efforts as he goes into the Pearland area and recruits for you? We love you. We pray that you get all glory and all honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Raphael, if you'll pray for Brother Chad, amen. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the call that you've given us in our lives to spread the gospel. Lord, we are honored that you would even consider us. And Lord, I pray right now for this brother now, Chad. As he spreads the gospel to this city, Lord, we are behind him praying for him. Lord, we pray for resources. We pray, Lord, that you would give him the wisdom that he needs, that you would provide him with the team members that he needs. Lord, you know the, the field you've called him to plow. Lord, now that he puts his hand to that plow, let him be reassured that he has brothers behind him, that he has... Um, men praying for him, Lord, and a God that is powerful behind him, and that there's nothing that is too, that's too hard for you to accomplish in and through him, Lord. So, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would guide. We pray that your spirit would open up his eyes to the areas in his life that he has to cultivate and work on as a minister of your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would be with him, and you would be an ever-present help, Lord, as he mm. spreads this gospel, Lord, as he does it in a time where people are not going to church that he would open up this church in confidence that you have called him to this. Yes, Fill it, Lord. Fill it, Lord, with people that need to hear the gospel. Help him, Lord, to preach your gospel, Lord, in a way that would change the lives of the people that attend. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father God, Lord, I lift up every brother that's here, Father God, that has completed this process, that has planted a church, Father God. In this difficult hour, I ask, God, that you would give them the leadership, the giftings, Father God, and the dependency to trust you, Father, with all that's going on, Lord. It reminds us, Father, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, when the church was scattered and everyone left Jerusalem, but because they left Jerusalem, the gospel spread, Father God. And it was men and women who, Lord, heard your call and went out. And I ask that, God, because of these men heard your call, I ask that you would be with them. And as they go and make disciples of all nations in their areas, God, that their faith and their trust would be in you because, God, just because of COVID, just because of a, of a pandemic, does not mean that you stopped having a desire to reach people. And so, Father God, I pray that you would give them a renewed spirit, a renewed heart, a revival in a sense, Father God, to where the gospel is needed more than ever as people are burdened and hurted. And Father God, and the only thing that can redeem and restore is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so may each of these church planters be encouraged today, Father God, that you have called them for this very hour and that you did not miss the timing. Some may be wondering, why in the world am I called to plant a church in a pandemic? And it's the same reason why, Father God, when the song 
Paul attacked the church, Father God, at an unopportune time, that you use that unopportune time, God, to be the right time for the gospel to be spread. And so, God, may these men carry the gospel and herald it with the men and women of their church and the children of their church, Father God, to make sure that the great name of Jesus Christ is known throughout the city of Houston and beyond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and praise God. I want to introduce in the back Elder Royce Robinson right here from Crossover Bible Fellowship. This is our elder of marriage and family life right here. He just walked in. Uh, we call him Alan Iverson. He just believes everything is practice. And so, uh, Al, AI, man, glad to have you in the house. Amen. Everybody else been here since like 7 o'clock getting it ready for you, but, 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 but Royce is here now. So, y'all, put your hands together for Royce Robinson, the elder of marriage and family life right here. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. We love you, Royce. We love you. Right now, we have the distinct privilege to bring up uh, a father in the ministry, a mentor in the ministry to us. Uh, um, Dr. Crawford Loritz uh, has spoken here in Houston often uh, for Pastor Mitch Mayer, who's having surgery today uh, over in Katy. He's spoken for Crossover Bible Fellowship. He's raised up a son who's spoken here, Brian Loritz and Brendan Loritz, who are both church planners. And so we want to uh, welcome him, and uh, we are grateful and thankful. Even uh, in this past year, his son has written a dedication called, a book called The Father Factor, uh, and it's about the imprint that his father had on his son. Brian Loritz wrote that book, and he says that uh, the work that his father's done in meeting with God has impacted his call and what God is doing in his life. And there's no greater compliment than to have your children sincerely follow the Lord. And so when we look at this man of God, the Bible talks to us about us managing our own household well before we manage the church of God. And as God has blessed him to manage his household well, he's now helping us to manage the church of God. And so with that, we want to stand and receive and clap for uh, my mentor and my pastor, uh, Pastor Crawford Loretz. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Blake. Well, good to see everybody. It's good to be here. And uh, when somebody gives introductions like that of me, it makes me feel old as dirt, you know, just uh, unbelievable. So let me get something out of the way right now. You know, probably one of the most challenging times to speak is after meal functions, right? So how many of you, tell the truth, just tell the truth. How many of you are sleepy? Just, just be honest, all right. Well, well, here's the deal. If you are sleepy, I want to invite you to go ahead and go to sleep. Okay, I've slept on the best of them, so what goes around comes around, and uh, just go ahead and sleep. Uh, but don't fight it. I mean, it's, it's, y'all are ugly when you fight sleep, okay? And I can see a lot more than you think I can see, so just, just yield, right? Just, just go ahead and yield. I mean, you, there's some empty spots on the floor. You can lay down, that kind of thing, and I won't, again, I won't take it personally. But don't, please don't do one of these two things. Don't, don't, don't do like this. That's distracting. Just sleep. And by all means, please don't do this number. You think you're cute doing this one, but don't do this. Don't, don't do this pretending as if you're reading or praying. Now we got character issues. That's lying. Okay, so just, just go ahead and sleep. Go ahead and sleep. Well, it's a treat to be here with you. I, don't, I, I consider this one of, the, one of the most strategic opportunities in the world. Um, you all are sitting on the board of directors of the kingdom enterprise in the world, and there's no higher calling than to believe God to translate vision into reality by seeing the church expanded and seeing hearts and lives touched and changed. So I, I am grateful, grateful for the privilege of being here. I actually, I was sharing this last night over dinner with uh, Blake and some others. I actually wrestled in prayer about what to say. There were, there were two messages that kept colliding in my heart that I wanted to share uh, today. One of them, um, I, 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 and I'm not going to share this one. I, I'm actually leaning toward the second one. One of them was about uh, how not to be branded by discouragement. And... Uh, Perhaps I'll talk about that later on, but uh, some other time. Um, but I really, I really want to talk about um, some advice, not only advice, that's too, too light of an expression, it's not accurate, uh, um, a directive 
under apostolic authority that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, the directive was this, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Um, Paul wrote 2 Timothy. It's the most personal of all of his letters, as you, as you do know. Uh, most scholars, some scholars believe that 2 Timothy, obviously, was Paul's last will and testament. The tender language that he's going to use. Paul would die shortly after he wrote that letter. Uh, and he writes it to Timothy. Timothy's going through a very difficult, difficult time, probably an understatement. Not unlike what the mess that we've been through here and continue to go through right now uh, in this country. You know, there's an old line that says, we often turn to God when our foundations are shaking only to discover that God is shaking them. And he's been shaking up, not, not just the secular world, but I really believe, I really believe Christendom and our brand of Christendom, whether you want to use the term evangelical or Bible-believing, whatever moniker you want to put on that, I really believe that God has been shaking us up. Uh, the pandemic, uh, the contentious political environment that we have walked through and the residual impact of all of that, the racial unrest. Uh, you know, I, I, I've seen Christians and folks that I thought better of who are losing their natural, ever-loving minds and uh, how hard things are right now. And they are difficult. And if we're not careful, we will cave in to the difficulties of what we're going through right now. But I would remind you, leadership shines brightest in the context of crises. And uh, that we, we, we are here for a reason. Um, and I understand uh, how, how tenuous things are and how fragile things are, particularly church planting. The lack of momentum and, and the thoughts that you had about this is going this way, then people are pulling back from you. you. You can't get things off the ground, and yet God's given you this calling, and you're tempted to want to run or change things or change the calling. All of these things, they cascade around you, and, uh, and it's just hard. It's hard. It's harder for church planters than for those of us who pastor churches where there's a little bit more cushion, a little more money in reserve, a little stuff that we can hang on to. It's difficult. It's hard. And yet, uh, that's what God's called us to do. You didn't pick this moment in history. God picked you for this moment in history. You didn't choose the crises. God dropped you into it to declare his glory despite the crises. So we're here right now. And the biggest mistake that you can make, the biggest mistake you can make right now is start bemoaning your circumstances and reducing your vision of God, bringing him down to your level of frustration, and then throw in the towel and walk on. God wants to demonstrate his glory. And he wants to demonstrate his power. But like I said, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Now, <laughs> Paul picked up Timothy on his second missionary journey. And, he, and Timothy traveled with him on his second and third missionary journeys. And uh, to, say, to say that <laughs> Timothy was, was, was literally like a son to him because Timothy didn't have a dad. He had a dad, but was, apparently was not involved in his life. Timothy was a young man. Paul's heart is attached to Timothy. Timothy is dropped in a set of circumstances that is a royal hell ride. A royal hell ride. I mean, it's a mess. And Paul is writing this letter because he knew that ministry was going to get harder rather than easier as time went on. There are three forces that are cascading down around Timothy and the walls are closing in on him. The first one is this. Nero is turning up the heat on Christians. He's the emperor. And the persecution is coming. And Paul is reading things and, you know, it ain't going to get any better, Timothy. 
Secondly, as you read both letters of 1 and 2 Timothy, these people in this church are taking his lunch money. They're beating the snot out of Timothy. You got all kinds of people trying to, they're just cannibalizing uh, Timothy's effectiveness. They're, they're, you know, they're telling him what to preach, what not to preach, what to say, what not to say, how to lead, what not. And they're, you know, they're ignoring him. Paul's saying, hold on, Timothy. You know, don't let people treat you that way. Don't, don't let them despise your youth. Draw, draw, draw a line, son. False teachers all over the place. Chaos. I mean, it it's not a walk in the park. Ain't nobody have no, 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 no church conferences using the church of the Ephesus as a model. It's a mess. And we glamorize this stuff. And then the third reality is that Paul is preparing his son, Timothy, for his, Paul's death. Paul's going to be very dead. And he would die, what, in A.D. 67? Timothy's been the pastor now at the church in Ephesus for four years. Things are not going like this. They're going like this. And yet, interestingly enough, as you read 2 Timothy, um, Paul doesn't coddle Timothy. It's interesting. He, he doesn't coddle him. He doesn't say, oh, it's okay. Oh, you know, you see that. He, no. In fact, he gives him seven directives in this book. It's as if he reaches out and grabs him by the lapels. Son, you, 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 you've got it. You've got it. So here's a focus. And by the way, by the way, I think it's a one word, a one word theme of Second Timothy. It is the word resilient. Resilient. And by the way, Paul presents these seven, these seven directives as seven decisions that Timothy's going to have to make. Seven decisions. If you don't make these decisions, you will burn out. You will walk away. You will crater. But you're going to have to make these decisions. And by the way, by the way, that's what, that's what resilience, resilience, resilience does not come by favorable circumstances. It comes by choices, decisions that you make. When you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your decisions. What are you deciding to do? And as you read this letter, and I'm not trying to sound like some locker room coke, as you read this letter, Paul is saying, okay, what, what are you going to do? I didn't ask you how you felt, Timothy. I didn't ask you how you felt. I'm asking you, what are you going to do with regard to these seven directives? There is a path forward. There is a path forward, and here's a path forward. But you're going to have to decide, decide to embrace these things and to execute them. Have you ever been beaten up so bad by circumstances and issues, the avalanche of the negative stuff that comes down the pike and things not happening, and that you actually, that you actually question who you are? You ever been there? That you, you've lost sight of, 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 of what's, I hate this expression, but I can't think of another word, what centers you? Have you lost sight of that? Paul is brilliant because that's where he begins in these seven directives. I'm not going to talk about the other six. I'm just going to talk about the first one today. The seven directives that he gives to Timothy. In the midst of all of this mess that's going on, Nero's losing his ever-loving mind. He's lost his mind, right? This church is knocking the snot out of you, boy, and I'm going to die. He says to Timothy, the place to begin First directive is, remember who you are. What you bring to your ministry is a strong, certain sense of who you are. Not somebody else, not what the church wants you to be, not who your mentors are, but who you are. And Paul brilliantly says that this sense of centeredness, this sense of stability, 
this sense of a hope-filled presence is based upon these three pillars. He says it here in verses uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through, through 13, 14. He says, based upon these three pillars, identity, calling, and obligation. I said a few moments ago to those who are in the breakout session that leadership in the Bible is always prophetic, meaning that you've got to be the portrait of the desired destination at which everything else needs to arrive. The leader's best friend is a sense of confidence and clarity. And you bring confidence and clarity to the context of the mess, which enables you to stick around long enough to stick. It brings hope. And that is your job as a leader. Your job as a leader is not to shepherd best practices, but be the portrait of hope, of confidence, of assurance. And it begins by you stepping back from the crises, stepping back from the emails, stepping back from the criticism, stepping back from the nonsense, and answering the question, God, who have you designed me to be in light of the mess that's going on here? And help me to bring that to the dance. You're not brokering somebody else. You're not trying to be like somebody else. But Paul tells Timothy at the very beginning to remember who you are. So let me just walk through these three things that he says to him. He says, the very first place to begin is your identity. Identity. That's verses 3 through 7 in chapter, chapter, chapter 1. Your, your identity. And your identity, Timothy, is based upon four realities. I love the brilliant way in which Paul writes. Because these, these other six things, these are in order here. He says, no, no, let's start with you, Timothy. I ain't talking about your context. No, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about your context. I'm talking about you. Wherever you are dropped, these three things are true about you. Your identity, your calling, and your obligation. They don't change. They do not change. No matter what's going on around you, your identity, your calling, and your obligation doesn't change. The very first thing he says is, okay, now this identity is based upon four realities. That's verses three through six. The first thing that he says is that, Timothy, you, 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 you need to understand that you, number one, are loved and valued. Listen to what he says here. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul starts with a heart connection with Timothy. A heart connection. And I think in a broader context of the book, what he's saying is, hey, look, you, you, you may not be able to trust these other people. Their relationship with you might be pragmatic and utilitarian or whatever. Uh, and, and all this stuff is going on. You're my son, Timothy. I'm sitting here in jail. They're going to decapitate me. But you need to know, boy. Every single day, I'm thinking about you. I am praying for you. Prayer means that I'm tapping in the resources of heaven, the being to bear on your current situation. You're part of my heart. The implication is simply this. Listen, leaders, hear, hear, me, hear me on this, hear me on this, hear me on this. You need to listen to the people who love you the most. Don't ever think that you're by yourself. Don't ever think that you're alone. And for those of you who are introverts, be careful. Be careful of withdrawing and keeping your own counsel. Understand it's a lie from the pit of hell that you're not loved. You are loved and cared for. Keep that fresh in your heart and mind. When you know that you're loved and cared for by the people that matter the most, 
It's amazing how you can straighten your spine. It's amazing how you can press through the mess around you. And this is, this is what Paul is saying. He said, I haven't forgotten. And he, and he says, as I remember your tears, uh, some scholars believe that this was probably Paul's second, Paul's second arrest. Paul says, I glanced over and I see the tears trickling down your cheeks. I see them every day. I care about you. I care about you. I can't tell you the number of times. I'm 71 years old and, you know, I still get scud missile emails and uh, all this other kind of stuff. And people don't walk on the leadership. They don't like what you say. They don't like the decisions that you make and this kind of thing and what have you. There have been any number of crises in all these uh, almost 50 years of ministry. There have been many, many crises, many times in which I was tempted to feel isolated and alone and um, misunderstood. And sometimes it's the reality I was. But then I would think about the people who love me, who care about me, and it's unconditional. That's part of who you are those relationships. So the very first reality under this banner of uh, identity is that you are loved and valued. The second reality that Timothy, Timothy, this is what you bring to the dance. One, you're loved and valued. I don't get what these people are saying here. They're throwing in all kinds of crazy, stupid stuff and whatever, criticism, all that kind of, you are loved and valued. The second thing, Timothy, that you need to know is that you, you, you have a legacy of faith. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Listen to me. Listen to me. One of the struggles I have with leaders who are, who are 45 and younger, the temptation that we have is that we have, a, we have a distorted, exaggerated vision and view of our moment in history. We think that our moment, your moment, is the most significant moment that ever existed. But what Paul is saying is that, no, 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 Timothy, no, Timothy, you, you, you come from someplace. You come from a long line, a long line of people who have believed God. You're connected to a time that you didn't experience. And listen to these people, this sincere faith. It's, 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 uh, it's in the next verse he says here. Uh, um, in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Number, notice he uses sincere faith, realizing that his current situation can cause him to even question his faith. Now he said, no, 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 no. The crisis du jour does not eradicate or erase the reality of your faith. Stand back, son. Stand back. Get some perspective. Go on a little retreat. Think about where you came from. Think about the stewardship responsibility. Think about the gift that you have. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What is Paul doing? Strengthening his confidence. No, no, you, you, you don't bring to the dance something that is new. This just this didn't just happen to you last night. Your grandmother believed God. Your mama believed God. And son, you're going to believe God. You're going to believe it. You're going to get through this. It is rock solid. It dwells in you. A little ancillary bunny trail here. Uh, notice there's no man mentioned here. According to Acts 16.2, yeah, Timothy's father was, was a Gentile, probably not a believer. And Paul comes alongside to be the boy's daddy. I want to say this to us. You know, we, we need to be very careful. It, it is, uh, <laughs> we talk a lot about dysfunction. And sometimes you can talk about dysfunction in such a way that it becomes impenetrable. It's like you can't get over it. 
Oh, woe is me, you know, he can he come from a bad background and you know, we repeat these things, the sins of the father will visit the second and third generation, they're gonna be the same way. And you know, and if you you know, I think sometimes we need to stop talking about how dysfunctional people are and start making them functional. Discipleship makes them functional. And there's the power of faith, the power of a gospel to renovate and change everything. Paul says, this is part of who you are. So this identity piece, you, 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 you're loved and valued. Uh, you have a legacy of faith. Timothy, number three, this is what you bring to the dance. This is, this is your sense of place. This is your sense of stability. You came from some place. You're loved and valued. But he says, thirdly, Timothy, you have a gift. You have a gift. He says here, for this reason, <laughs> grammatically, what reason? You are loved and valued. Grammatically, what reason? What reason, Timothy? Because of the legacy and stewardship of faith. The ellipsis here is he's saying, Timothy, now, now why, why in the world are you being intimidated? Who told you to push the rewind button? He says, for this reason. <laughs> I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I'm going to just say the laying on of my hands. Some people get indigestion over that statement and say, well, you know, did Paul give him the gift of this kind of thing? I, no, I think he just recognized the gift with apostolic authority. But the emphasis is this. Look, 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 Timothy, 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 stop, stop. Why, 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 are you, why are you just 60% here? Why have you allowed the criticisms and the pressure of the culture and of the Republicans and the Democrats and the, you know, the CRT and the non-CRT and the other stuff going on here in the pandemic, the mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, all this. Whoa, 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 hold up, buddy. Why, 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 why are you sort of kind of retreating here? I believe that Paul and that Timothy had two gifts, at least two gifts. Albeit, he had the gift of leadership. He was a reluctant leader, but he had the gift of leadership. And secondly, Timothy had the gift of proclamation, preaching slash teaching. And Paul is saying to him, in so many words, you, your flame's going out. What God has given you to drive this thing forward, you're pulling back. Boy, open your mouth and preach. Preach. That's what he says in chapter 4. Preach, son. Lead, boy. Somebody here needs to hear that. What has God given you to work with? What God gave you and me to work with may not be everything in the church, but it lights all the fires in the church. Don't pull back. It's not the time to pull back. In the midst of all of this crap and uncertainty and evangelicals acting silly and stupid and spitting contests and all this other kind of stuff, there needs to be some certainty and clarity. And don't keep repeating the nonsense and the crap on social media and, you know, re retweeting it and reposting it and all this other stuff. Stop it. Somebody needs to stand up and give some Holy Ghost direction. What is the clarity? Fan in the flame. So Timothy, Timothy, listen to me, boy. Remember who you are. Begins with your identity. Four realities. Four realities. You're loved and valued, okay? You're not to sniffle about nobody cares about me. That's a lie. I care about you. Number two, you come from a legacy of faith. This ain't the first gospel rodeo in your family, all right? Number three, you've been given a gift. But number four, he says, 
Your identity is based on this reality. <laughs> that you have supernatural resources. Listen to these words here. We've got to drop verse 7. I've heard people quote verse 7, and sometimes they pry it out of its context. Verse 7 says, for, it's a continu continuation, continuation of, of the previous verse. The previous verse, he says, fan in the flame. Then he tells them why he needs a fan in the flame and what he has to work with that will cause this flame to burn brightly. He says, for God gave us a spirit, not a fear. You're not fanning it into flame because of people pleasing in fear. You're scared. You're intimidated. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. What did he give us? But of power, love, and self-control. Now, now, I wish, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of, of, of here. I wish the translators would have, would have translated that word differently from just the general word fear. Because this is the only place in the New Testament that this Greek word is used. It is not the word that's used for generally fear. the threats that are coming up against you. This is the reason why you got to be very careful of reducing ministry Our youngest son, Brendan, uh, he, he pastored a church outside of Chicago. Uh, uh, he, was, he was like, I don't know how old he was. He was like 25, 26 years old. He was a pastor there. And uh, that little church was a crime scene. He used to take the yellow tape and wrap around the church. And, uh, and my, my poor son was getting a snot beat at him. I mean, he was, they, they, they was just, it was just... It was just a mess. And, you know, it was a small church and they had some church bosses in there. You know, when a church is smaller, you got to be careful that church bosses, can, you know, the span of control. Once it reaches about four or five hundred, it's kind of hard to do that. So, but anyway, this is a small church. So, uh, uh, let me cut to the quick here. <clears throat> Long story. It was, it was a multi ethnic church, but had some folks in there that had a little bit of a racist bent. Well, I'm being, I'm being not accurate, a very racist bent. So, uh, and he was telling me this, but I, you know, I was telling him, hang in there, buddy. And he, he said, well, daddy, maybe I need to go someplace else. And I said to him, son, you know why the grass is green on the other side? Come on, dad. Why is the grass green on the other side? Because it has more manure spread on it. And boy, you're in the manure spreading season. I just, only, it's going to grow, but it's going to stink for a while and you're going to look like a mess. All right. But you hang in there. So I'm trying, no, that's true. Some of y'all in the manure spreading season, we all been there. We all been there. You ain't always been clean, okay? So, so uh, <laughs> Brendan's pretty tough. Both of my boys are pretty tough. So uh, this one evening is about uh, about eleven o'clock at night on Eastern. Uh, we, we live in Atlanta in Eastern Time Zone. So I get this phone call from Brendan, and when he hears my voice. Now, you got to know, both my boys, I said, they're pretty stoic and tough. I hadn't seen Brendan cry since he was like 11 or 12 years old. And he heard my voice. He began to cry. I said, boy, what's wrong with you? So I get up and, and I 
go in the other room. And he's, he said, Dad, I'm in my study here at the church, and I just can't take it, man. We're in a deacon meeting, and one of these guys said some awful things to him. It was just terrible, beyond racist. It was awful. So he's telling me this stuff, and everything in me wanted to say, You know, they want to punk somebody out. I just flights to uh, Chicago. I'll be up there in the morning. We can have a conversation. You know, we can see who's, you know, I mean, yeah, it's good. But I can't, you know, I just can't do that. I wanted to. Uh, so I said to him, and, the, you know, I felt like coddling him. But I said to him, son, are you asking me for my advice? said, yeah, Dad, I don't know what to do. Here's what you do, boy. When you hang up this phone for me, you drop to your knees. And you talk to God. Then you get up off your knees. You go back in there and you take over that meeting. And you tell them this. No paycheck will ever determine my integrity or my godliness, or my character. I will not prostitute the call of God by submitting to this level of mistreatment. So it's either you or me, but God has options for me. That's what you tell them. Do it, son. What he needed, what he needed was to realize, well, this is what Paul was saying to Timothy. Stop it, Timothy. Stop it. Stop running when they shout at you. Stop running when they challenge you. Stop running. Stop running, boy. Stop running because they say they don't like you. God didn't give you a spirit of, what did he give you? He gave you a spirit of power. It's not your opinion. It's the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you. The third person of the Trinity. What did he give you? He gave you love. The ability to love those who are coming after you. You have that in you. What did he give you? He gave you a spirit of discipline in context, meaning that you can stand firm and stay after it and stay focused. You can do that. You can do it. Well, I need to land a plane here pretty soon, so I'll just touch on these other two very quickly. Timothy, remember who you are. First, there's your identity, those four realities. They don't change. They bring weight to you. This is what you embrace. Secondly, Timothy, you got to understand you have a calling. You have a calling. God called you to this. And your calling is to two things, all right? And again, Paul doesn't coddle him. Your calling is to two things. Your calling is to suffer. Your calling is to the gospel, to this message. The very first thing he says, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed, verse 8, of the testimony about, the, uh, about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul is saying to Timothy, you, 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 know, you know where I'm writing you from, right? You know where I'm writing you from. I'm in jail. They're going to kill me. Not only that, buddy, they lied on me. I'm here on trumped up charges. What makes you think you're not going to go through a hard time? What makes you think that way? What makes you think that your ministry plan is going to go easy? What makes you think just because you go through some conference or you go through some mentoring program or some, you know, some, 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 some process? Your preview service and you have this critical mass here and you bring this over here. You, you, you think it's going to go easy?
Timothy, hey man. Paul wrote this in Philippians 1.29, for you has been given on behalf of Christ to not only believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake. And this is what we're called to do. I don't like suffering. I don't want suffering. But suffering brings ballast to your soul. It brings certainty to your heart. It produces a gospel resilience inside of you. For you've seen God carry you. Paul said, you can't run, boy. You're here. So embrace it with joy. I just told you about the resources you have, buddy. He's going to see you through. And he's going to see you all through. You hear me? He's going to see you through. It might get tough for a little bit. You might have to put things on pause for a while. Some of you might have to get a, you know, a tent-making job for a stretch. That ain't all bad. But don't quit. Suffering's a part of the game. If you don't suffer, you have no legacy. You have nothing to give to the next generation. You have no God stories. You know nothing of the supernatural intervention of God in your life. Preaching on prayer becomes very theoretical. But then he says to Timothy, you do all of this because of the message that you're heralding. Your calling is to suffer, but your calling is to this message. Verse 9 says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. I hear Paul shouting in that jail. I hear him shouting. I hear him shouting. He's saying, Timothy, do you know, do you know the privilege you have of declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of a living Savior who has cleansed you of all your sins and set free the people that are preaching to you, even the folks who are attacking you. They will bow at that cross and be regenerated and renewed. Boy, you got that privilege. Preach the gospel, son. That's what you're called to do. And I charge each and every last one of you, don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't try to become some erudite cultural critic in the name of Jesus. Preach Jesus. Preach the empty tomb. Preach salvation. Preach the hope of the gospel. The gospel is the only message that can both diagnose the problem and bring its, its eternal cure. That's what you call the shepherd. Don't get it twisted. Too many of these young dudes, I, I, I talk to them. Blake, I talk to too many of these young dudes, too many of them. They don't know who they want to be. Wait, 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 want to be some, some, some entertainer? You want to be some philosopher? And too many evangelicals are too concerned about saving Western civilization where they ought to be talking about saving the souls of all the world. So, Timothy, that's what you're called. So you have, remember who you are. What does that mean, Paul? Well, your identity. What does that mean, Paul? Well, your call, your calling, suffering. You got a message. And then, then thirdly, therefore, you have an obligation, which is a summary statement. He says here, look. <laughs> verse 14. Actually, verse 14 really crystallizes and summarizes everything that he said in verses 3 through 13. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
I actually believe you could very well say that 2 Timothy has a dual theme. Stir up the gift and guard the deposit. Stir up the gift and guard the deposit. I want you to know it begins with a prepositional phrase. The focal point is to guard the deposit. But how do you guard the deposit? You're not going to guard the deposit by arguing with people. You're not going to guard the deposit by the force of your will. Notice he says, by the Holy Spirit. We don't talk enough about the prominence of the Spirit of God in our lives and in our ministry. But Paul says, look, 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 look. This can be accomplished. But it's not going to happen through your gifts, talents, or abilities. It's going to happen through the power of the Spirit of God. It's going to happen through the power of the Spirit of God. Ministry, effective ministry, don't you ever forget this. Don't you ever forget this. Effective ministry is the celebration of the ministry of the Spirit of God. Preaching is a celebration of the ministry of the Spirit of God by the Holy Spirit, Timothy. Validation comes from the Holy Spirit. Favor comes from the Holy Spirit. He says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is that good deposit? Well, your identity. Your love and value. You have a legacy of faith. You have a gift. You have supernatural resources. You have a mission. You have a calling. Call to suffer. You're called to preach the gospel. Guard that. Tenaciously guard it. And that's what brings stability and balance to who you are. As long as we live and we're this side of heaven, there's always going to be stress, struggle, and strain. There's always going to be surprises. Who knows? There may be another pandemic around the corner. Pressure is a part of life. Nothing is new. But what you must believe is that all the forces of hell cannot stop what God wants to do. You hear me? You hear me? Now, you know, he doesn't guarantee the size of our church, but he guarantees us victory. He guarantees that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He guarantees that he will use us. So, if I had six other sessions, I would tell you the six other decisions. But Delta ain't ready when I am. So, decide. Decide to remember who you are. Thank you, Father, for yourself. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for your word. Help us, Lord Jesus. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us. May we draw from you, we pray. Put wind in our sails, Father. Help us to live above the circumstances, to rejoice in you, to link arms with those who love us, who care about us, to forge ahead. God, we trust you and love you. May the benediction and smile of heaven be on every woman and man here. God, 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 put a smile in their souls, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before uh, Pastor Larissa goes, I want to call up Pastor John Ogletree and his son Johnny Ogletree to pray for uh, Pastor Larissa as he prepares to get on the road and continues to do ministry. Uh, Pastor Ogletree in our city is a man very similar to what Pastor Larissa has done in terms of being faithful to his family and faithful to his church. And so uh, there's no one other I'd rather ask to pray for the journey in ministry for Pastor Loritz. And so if you'll come up and pray. And then after that, James Mabel's going to come lead us in song. And then Chad Rankin will be here. James, if you'll get ready.
Father, we do lift up this, this sage, this giant in the faith, this father of biological sons and spiritual sons. And God, ask that you would keep him ever sharing and helping us to grow, helping us to live up to our identity our calling and forever live up to our obligation. Use him and keep him on fire, lighting our fires in the ministry. We thank you for what he has said to us today. Hallelujah. God, we pray for safe traveling grace. God, that you might allow him to go back to the place that he left and that it might be the better one upon his return. God, that he might return with a fire and an anointing that is even greater than has already been seen or experienced by those who have sat under his teaching and leadership. God, we pray that you would allow his seed to continue to expand and to explode and to explore new areas and to take the kingdom forth in ways that he never dreamed possible. God, let his eyes witness it. Let his heart experience it. And let the joy of you always be his strength. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, thanks again for being here today. Uh, and a special thanks, James. Thanks to the crossover crew, Blake, Wash, Joseph, Royce. Do we, say, do we tell you thank you, too? No, I'm just kidding. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Appreciate the team. Uh, and Crawford, man, great word. Uh, really appreciate that. I don't know where you're sitting now, but grateful for you, uh, your ministry to us uh, here in Houston. I, I've had enough conversations with guys the last uh, several months that some of you are going to want that podcast to probably listen to about once a week uh, for the next several months. So that'll be available on the website or via email. Uh, if you're new here today, uh, just thanks for being here. Uh, if you're, you want to get on our uh, email list to know when these events are happening, uh, feel free to sign up at the end. Uh, we have a ton of uh, great churches that support HCPN, and we're, we're really grateful for that. And so thank you for your support to make that happen. Uh, we want to celebrate a few things. We kicked off our foundational residency, uh, started a couple weeks ago. We got about 23 in that this year. And I just had someone come up to me a little bit ago and say, hey, can I still get in that? And so, yes, we have a few spots left. If you want to start a little bit late, uh, you can jump in there. That, that's for those that are kind of kicking the tire. Uh, in terms of church planning. And another thing I want to celebrate in regards to our residencies is that HCPN is expanding our staff. We're actually growing by 33%. So going from two to three people, uh, we have just brought on board uh, Dr. Matthew Lee. Matt's back there. Matt, stand up for us a second. So Matt's coming on board as the director of residencies for HCPN. So he's going to oversee all of our training. And we've been praying uh, for this position for uh, several years. And we're grateful Matt uh, brings a, a doctorate in intercultural education. So how different people, grew, uh, people learn. Uh, he's developed the program, church planning program at Fuller Seminary, teach church planning at Gordon-Conwell, another seminary. And he's also a practitioner, has planted multiple churches, both as a lead pastor uh, and, and on the team as well. So we're excited for you to start October 1st. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to meet Matt, uh, make sure uh, you get a chance to do that. Uh, the last thing, uh, we will not meet next month. Uh, instead, we partner with Exponential. We're going to have our uh, Exponential Regional Gathering uh, here in Houston. Uh, that'll be October 26th and 27th. Uh, great group of speakers there. So I encourage you, if you want to check that out, you can go to the Exponential website. Uh, we had a drawing out there, Micah Drew. Uh, so the winner of the free two tickets to Exponential next month is Andre Riggs. Congratulations, Andre. Where are you at, bro? So two free tickets for you uh, for the conference uh, next week or next, next month. Well, I'm not going to give them to you now. Just show up. We'll, we'll sign up. Uh, and so, if again, we're not meeting. I'd encourage you. You heard Jeff earlier in the day talk about the Pursuit Conference, conference happening at Woods Edge. Uh, great list of speakers up there. That's hop happening in October as well. So, again, thanks for being here today. Uh, again, happy. Uh, oh, one last thing I did want to say. Uh, again, HCPM, I mean, it's a, it's a network of relationships and people and who you know and stuff. So I just encourage you, the person you prayed with or maybe the people you prayed with at the table, grab their contact information this week or before you leave, and maybe this week or the next few weeks, uh, just reach out. Let them know you're praying for them, thinking about them uh, as we continue to build a community here in Houston uh, that's taking responsibility really for, uh, for the city together. So again, thanks Crossover, thanks Crawford uh, for having us today, and thanks for being here.